Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. Joining us today is Daniel Gindis, who is running for City Council of Tel Aviv. And Daniel is, um, you know, Daniel, it's funny, we spoke earlier, and I don't even know where you're from. Where are you from? So I was... Uh, I was born in originally from Upper West Side, Manhattan. My parents met at a Jewish singles event and it worked. So I'm a statistics baby. Okay. And uh, now you're in Tel Aviv. Not so different. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I, I would say there are many differences. Yeah, One of them that was a joke. New York has that a... was a joke. That was a joke. Oh, okay. Totally different. And I hate it when people act like uh, Tel Aviv is an American city because it's not. And New York City New... is even one of a kind. Okay. There's no other place like that. That's that's for sure. No, but they people do say that Tel Aviv is the you know New York of Israel, and there are some parallels. Yeah, but yeah, uh, you know they mean it as a compliment. Not they in do, every way. right? So yeah. I, I um I welcome you to the show, and this is going to be a little show. different. This is a little different. So all our listeners out there, we are speaking to um a a politician, a politician. Daniel is uh, aiming to be a politician here. He's running for Tel Aviv City Council, and uh, we were introduced. And uh, I thought I'd bring him on the show. And, you know, this is something we really don't cover much of. And it's very interesting. We spoke a little bit. And I'll just lay this out there and then we'll jump into the interview. Um, politics in Israel is very Israeli. And uh, there is not really an Anglo voice. And there's definitely not an Ole voice, an immigrant voice, somebody from North America. It's just not, it just doesn't really exist. So Daniel is um, looking to change that. And um, very, very interesting and very exciting because, you know, Israel is all of ours. We're all here. There are a lot of Anglos here and we should have representation. So, um, Daniel, I sent you a bunch of questions and I guess we can just lob through them. But if you want to just introduce yourself quickly um, on your own and tell us what uh, what is your uh, platform and what exactly is your this this um what exactly is the city council you're running for? Okay, wonderful. So thank you, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Good to meet you all. Fellow Olim, aspiring Olim, uh, people who like the idea and like where they are. So my name is Daniel Gindis, originally born in New York. I have made Aliyah. My uh, home now is Tel Aviv. I've lived in Jerusalem, Givat Shmuel, some other places along the way, and I'm really happy here. Uh, as a Jew, as a person, I work here, I live here. Yiddishkeit in Tel Aviv has been booming in the past bunch of years. Huge kiddishes, active synagogues, really active life for English speakers, both old and young. I can name some of the synagogues people go to, Chabad on the Coast, Yakar, Ben Yehuda 126, Frischman 23, all wow, of these amazing. excellent places. Yeah, you, you you have your choice for very organized Shabbat dinners, community events, really great place to live. Now, uh, I would say that uh, sort of uh, backing up a little bit for myself, I you know now live in Tel Aviv. I've lived in some places beforehand. I did university in Israel and the IDC, now Reichman University, did some yeshiva, did some army. And now living and working in Tel Aviv, uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a politician. I'm aspiring. I'm running for city council. This is the first time that I'm trying to do anything of a political nature. And what got me into this was community activism. Uh, four years ago in 2019, myself and a bunch of friends 
really wanted to run different forms of activities like Shabbat dinners. I myself love live music and theater, and we couldn't find spaces. We spent a lot of time looking for space. And for anyone who's run events or knows business, you're supposed to spend a significant budget, sometimes 80% on marketing, not on finding venues. <laughs> so we decided to rent an apartment much larger than we needed, but we only want to do maybe three events a month, which is a lot, but you know, still not enough to justify it. So we gave our space to other people and the amount of grassroots community initiative to come up was incredible. So the the, mm. the organization is named Karam House. Now it's a registered nonprofit. And uh, during those first nine months, two hundred and twenty three events took place. And who were, is, who who was doing them? So uh, our committee, like we had like thirty friends who helped us get it started, uh, were part of them. Like we did the Shabbat meals, Hagim, some pretty wacky events, Pate night. Someone had the idea of throwing a dictator theme party. So, Okay, are these uh, like singles events, Daniel? Uh, I would say that they're not limited to, but the population who come and are sort of tapped in are 20 and 30-somethings living in Tel Aviv. There are some couples who really like the Tel Aviv lifestyle and stay after getting married, but there are also others who find someone and you know move out either because of the price or okay. because they have family or connections elsewhere. Is Though this I will a, say that, uh, sorry? I just question. Is this a, is it a religious yeah. group? Uh, Karam House is a I'd say a, a, a Jewish group. It's Shomer Shabbat and Kashrut, but it's not religious necessarily. Like if mm -hmm. someone has an event of a sushi making workshop, it'll be kosher. But there's no. It's not like a you know a, the OU or another organization whose goal is to bring people closer to Judaism. We want to make really fun events, places for community and communities to thrive, for people to make connections. People have found both romantic connections, apartment flatmates, and business partners at these activities. It's social. I'll, I'll tell you what I, I understand. It's yeah, social. It's social. It's like like the spoiler is what people want is to be left alone to hang out with other people, and there are almost no places to do it. And it's really unfortunate. This is what drives people to expensive bars. And if you want to make an event not at a Karam House space, it can cost you, you know, a few hundred dollars to get an empty rectangle that you only get from 8 p.m. to, uh, you know, midnight. Right. And it's very challenging. That's, I think, why what Karam House did boomed in the way that it did, that it challenged the cost of living and gave way for so many people to come do events. And it took okay. us a little while. It's a Moadon. It's a Moadon. That, that's what you got. Um, I wouldn't say it's a Moadon because many of the activities weren't just Moadoni. Like we had a, a Jew from Azerbaijan. For, okay, wait a second. For, for those of you listening, a Moadon is a club room. And, and that's all I mean by that, Daniel. Where I live, a Moadon. Oh, I see. Okay. So translate, because Moadon, I, I translate as club. And that's no, like, no, no, no. It's a club room. We, 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 it's a space. It's a rectangle with sometimes bathrooms yes. and sinks and tables and furniture that you can use. And you can rent that space for a bar mitzvah or for a talk. Yeah, that's what it is. And that's what you've done. Exactly. You've created an event space. Yep. It was a multi-purpose community event space, which was really seized upon by the community. Uh, it was like incredible. Like today Great. we have had a you know over 900 events of various types. Some of them were smashing successes, some of them flopped. Where is it, uh, Daniel? Where is it? So right now we run the Caramouse, depending on what activity it is, of different spaces. Let's say someone wants to do uh wellness uh, and mindfulness on the beach. So we'll help promote an event on the boardwalk. Shabbat dinners are in synagogues. 
We work oh. with the Mazda 22 city space. We have a, we have a variety of spaces we've connected oh, to oh, oh, I didn't know that. In, in our times of working. Like we, we like holding the house became something which was very challenging given that we outgrew it for some of our events. And, you know, we didn't want to tell people you can't come to a Shabbat meal because we only have 50 spots. So we'd work with a shul that had 150 spaces. Uh-huh. And you just use the name Karam House. It's it's not limited to a physical space. I I'd understand. say it's an idea, and okay. our dream is for it to be a policy. Okay. For spaces to be available, ideally in municipalities all over Israel, maybe in other places in the world, where it's a easy to access, low to no strings attached space that people can use, not just limited to young, can be older, to make the activities they want to, rather than the challenge that exists today when people want to find a space. I have many friends and acquaintances who either call us because they're looking for help or have given up on their ideas because it just came, became too complicated. Mm. And it's hard to run things at home unless you have a friend with a large living room right. and neighbors are sensitive to noise. Like, like again, this isn't something which is a money-making venture. And I think that because our goal was never to make money, but rather as a community service for us to have spaces to run events we wanted and for our friends, uh, I think that's one of the reasons it took off. Yeah, uh, people just really uh, like because again, after the event finishes, people get to hang out. We right. one of our rules was there it, the end, event ends when the last person leaves. Nice. So you see people sitting and hanging out till two a.m. sometimes right. on a Friday later. Right. It's 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 beautiful, you know. Very nice, and, Very and that's nice. the magic: people being left alone. But it's not economical, and that's why I feel it's not happening as much. So part of getting back to to city, so that, that that's Karam House. Uh, yeah. We there was a break for COVID. And came back in force, and we've definitely a lot of crazy stories. We could probably have a whole interview about the adventures and strange events, and you know, cool people mm -hmm. we've come across. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I'll actually say a, a, another funny story is we got a call from one of the political parties in Israel two years ago, and they said we want to bring an MK, like a member of Knesset, to light the menorah. Can you help us find a space? <laughs> and we said, okay, well, we have the Karam House. We have capacity for, let's say, you know, 50, 60 people. We can do more when standing. And and they said, okay, this is, uh, that's great. But like, we'd like to have it larger. And we told them the prices of venues and the options that they had possible. And even though it's a, like a leading political party in Israel, like, wow, this is like too much. We can't believe these are the prices. We'll do it at the Karam House. Because <laughs> uh, we were giving her, it was, it was just, it was funny. It's like, like you guys are one of the So you do parties. charge money. You just charge much less than everyone no, else. We, we, no, we do it for, well, I would say when we did it, it was like, if your event is free, we'll give it to you for free, even at a loss. Because okay. we wanted to encourage grassroots initiative type event place we would have wanted. If people are making money, though, like a percentage can go into the operation. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Okay, but but again, it wasn't like I think the reason that it succeeded is the goal was never to make anybody rich. You can't you can't do it on, you know, these types of events like you're not going to get someone's, you know, lecture about, uh, you know, uh, musicals they liked from the 1980s like that may or may not work. But we can take those risks because that's the idea. Okay, and I get it. tying I get it back it. to city council, the platform and what I personally want to do and what drives me is that there are municipal spaces throughout Tel Aviv and throughout Israel that close at 9.30 p.m. But there are people who sometimes only start, like as opposed to, you know, London where things shut down at 11 or uh, certain cultures in other cities, the uh, Tel Aviv nightlife really only starts at 9.30 p.m. And evening activities and post-dinner workshops start at 9.30, 10.30 will go late, even on most weekdays. 
So why are these spaces that aren't being used, that are often noise insulated, not available to general public? So that's one of the things that I would like to, to change. I think also, by the way, they're not open on Fridays and Shabbatot. And I feel there are many Shabbat-friendly activities that can happen there that will save people the challenge of either A, doing it in a public park in the winter or needing to rent uh, venues for a kid's birthday. Like these mm -hmm. city spaces available and sit dormant, hundreds of them. Really? And why? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's There's, that's it, something it, you could probably change, I, I you know. So, unless I mean, there's it's, it's challenging <laughs> yeah there's somebody making money off of these places and they're not going to like you but you have a fight and you can fight and uh you might succeed so call it a vote cool what else did i have here what what do you want to what do you want else to do as a part of the city council and what does the city council do they i guess they run all kinds of things in the city in tel aviv so uh, for city council, one of them from our point is accessibility and connection to space. Another one of them is improving city services, uh, which I would say, first of all, is municipal services. Tel Aviv has incredible opportunities from walking tours to food tours to, uh, I would say, different types of discounts. There's the TEDx Tel Aviv for example, which is uh, the tickets are sold for hundreds of shekels, but the dress rehearsal the day before is free to residents of the city. If you live in Tel Aviv, now you know that's a possibility. All of it is available on a service called Digitel, but you have to proactively sign up and know that it exists. And the newsletter that they have is not in English. So for anyone now, now there are, you know, there's a sizable French uh, Olim community larger than the English speakers. And there is also a Russian community, but okay. So let's is... let's let's get down to some numbers, Daniel, because that people like to hear numbers. How many uh, Anglo's are in Tel Aviv compared to French and Russian? So what what I've heard uh, from like some people involved in the campaign is that there's about thirty thousand, though that's throughout the city and not limited to uh, age or uh, denomination. Obviously, those who come to shul or you know. These are called English. You're calling these English speakers. Tel Aviv has thirty thousand. We think okay. Yes. How about uh, French? And that's from any English speaking country. Uh, so the French, I don't know the numbers, but there's more of them. And I think Russians, there's even more, but like they do intercommunal activities. It's something which is really beautiful to see how, because when people make Aliyah and move to Israel, even if they come at 18 and go through the army and learn Hebrew, there is still some Ole attributes that remain like an Ole is an Ole, whatever, even if they come here as a child and speaking fluent Hebrew really helps, but to integrate and become part of the system, become part of the culture is something which may be challenging for many people to do. And there are needs that people have, like maybe someone can read Hebrew, but they're read it more slowly than in English. So in a country with socialized healthcare, we would want our socialized healthcare app to have functions in English, for example, which, which doesn't exist. Now that's not a municipal responsibility. That's the national government, but it's still something which is important, impacts our day-to-day -day lives. The municipal service website, same thing, should be available in English. There are enough of us to you know, justify some level of programming and translator. So these are uh, other things that we would like to do and are very important to us. Try again, like where, where it moves from municipal to national is something that I don't know and I would love to find out. But to the best of our ability, we'd like to make this more comfortable and easy. Switching countries and cultures is hard. Yeah, you if know. you get on that council, the you will you will learn, I guess, um, what 
it will take to make it national. But I have a question for you about that council. How many people sit on the Tel Aviv City Council? So Tel Aviv City Council has 31 seats, which are divided between two types of parties. I'm not sure how well-versed the listeners are in Israeli politics, but I will say that some of the parties on the city council are direct, uh, I'd say, localized versions of national parties. And some parties, while they may have the spirit of uh, a national interest, are actually a city, local, specific, homegrown uh, party. Okay. For example, the party of the mayor, current mayor, Roland Huldai, Tel Aviv 1, Tel Aviv 1, which holds seven seats on the council at the moment, is a party which is Tel Aviv specific. There's no Tel Aviv one in any other city in Israel, as opposed to Yeshatid, which is a national party, which is headed by Yair Lapid. And right now here in Tel Aviv has a also a, a mayoral candidate, uh, Orna Barbivai, um, does exist, or Shas. You know? okay. So there are parties that have direct parallels and who don't. Uh huh. What are your chances of getting in? So the party that I'm running with, and this is actually very important to point out, I'm not running with an Olim party. The party is called Maminim B'Tel Aviv, which can translate as believers of Tel Aviv, or we believe in Tel Aviv, is a party with uh, both religious, strongly religious and secular uh, members. And we're joint in, I'd say, on the, on the macro, the Tel Aviv does have a Jewish spirit that should be preserved. And more specifically, we break into taking care of the needs of the different communities. There's a French Ole on the ticket who will look into improving lives for the French community. There are participants from South Tel Aviv, uh, and there are you know considerations that they have. All right, and you said on the South, ticket, on the on, on Daniel. Sorry, when you say on yeah. the ticket, so you have Mamimba Tel Aviv is a is a party. Okay, how many people are in when you say on the ticket? You have a group of you oh, running. So there's 19 people on the ticket. The The party currently has two seats in the city council. I'm number six. So if we get in, let's say, three or four seats, then there's rotation deals that we've agreed to like have a certain percentage of the term and then switch. And that's something we hope for. But all of us agreed with Chaim Gorin, the head of the party, that if he gets in, and he's already been in for two terms, so 10 years, and we feel it's very likely he will get in, then he's going to push our different interests uh, you know, and things that we said are important to us. I have a question here, aside from the politics. I think you pretty much answered that. And if any of our listeners have follow-up questions, please contact me at natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com and I will pass your questions on to Daniel. Um, I have a question right here. <laughs> I sent this to you earlier. I don't know if it's appropriate, but I'll ask it anyway. What do you think Tel Aviv has to offer North American Olim? Okay, so what does Tel Aviv to offer? First of all, excellent question. Uh, I would say, first of all, we have a beach. We have beautiful weather, which maybe if you're, from, you're from Miami, you also have. It's also a very walkable city, so you don't need to drive anywhere, which is good if you walk to the beach because parking is horrendous. The buildings aren't so high, so you can see the sky and there's good airflow. It's actually a very comfortable city designed in the... I think 1920s and 30s of the Bauhaus style. It it has a much more European flow of uh, quality of life. There's coffee shops, there are restaurants, a lot of kosher restaurants. Lifestyle wise, it, it, like with the Mediterranean weather, it's more relaxed than you know. I'd say the uh, you know North American uh, cold and 
rush. Well, we're not going to compare it to a city in North America, but compare it to Jerusalem. Ah, the million dollar question. So I would say for Tel Aviv compared to Jerusalem, comfort and lifestyle wise, I would say it probably wins on on more accounts. In Jerusalem, unless you live in the center of town, it's, uh, you know, easier, faster to get places, you know, comfortable on that end. I'd also say like, yes, Jerusalem in the end, like many countries have a city like Tel Aviv. However, you know, there's no place like Jerusalem. And there's some things that Yerushalayim is always going to have, you know, ahead, the the Kotel, like the Torah, so many special things, uh, you know, weather, if you like cold weather, <laughs> uh, but like the, the mountains and the transport are challenging. Tel Aviv has many spiritual hubs. There are organizations, yeshivas, the amount of Torah classes happening, Torah classes in English that are available. There's at least one every day of the week. In Tel Aviv, I'd also say that it's a, a less divisive city. People here are here to live their lives, to work, to to enjoy things. They're definitely not uh, like the 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 political issues, which sometimes people, if they read news about Israel, uh, will see are much less present in Tel Aviv. I can say, living here, people mostly get along. The occurrences of you know this past Yom Kippur are very different from what it normally is like. I feel whether you are, you know, religious, secular, very religious people are just left alone to do their own thing, which for me, before I lived in Tel Aviv, was something that I, like, I was surprised at the difference in the contrast. Because living in Yerushalayim, you know, the capital of many different things simultaneously, you you feel uh, Tel Aviv is more modern uh, overall as far as amenities. I feel that the light rail when it comes up is uh, going to be you know, another step in that direction as far as amenities. It has a more relaxing existence here. There's more diversity, I would say. Tel Aviv is diverse like an American city. It's it's more international. You will see many different types of Israelis here. Uh, many foreign groups and tourists, when they are here, like to uh, to frequent around. It's, it's probably the most international-feeling place in Israel. And it's just very accessible, which means you can walk down Rothschild Boulevard or King George Street or Dizengoff, and you will see the most different types of people in one place. Mm -hmm. I'd also say like professionally wise and innovation wise, Tel Aviv is the capital. It's the height of the high tech industry, the heart of the startup nation. And there's a great Jewish community. The English speaking community has grown. We, you know, over shuls overflow. And, and that's why I'm here. It's, it's, it's just a great place to live it's it's hard to think that you know and i love yerushalayim i go there like i'm usually there for shabbat like once every you know six weeks or two months but tel aviv in many play, ways is the place to be i'd say especially for young professionals but it's also uh, works for families young families if people like the lifestyle and i feel there's a lot to like, like okay. we have, we're the only city with an abundance of ampms which are open 24 oh, hours okay a day. You're, you're 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 saying all nice stuff and i'm just going to throw this at you because you're totally ignoring it how about cost of living it is one of the most uh, expensive cities in the world i agree it's not a so i will say the cost of living yeah the cost of living in tel aviv is uh it's bad i'm not gonna sugarcoat anything the rent is more expensive but that i mean that's like any central city in the world the closer you live uh to the center the more right. expensive it's going to be and many political uh municipal parties say that they want to tackle 
cost of living. It's a it's a buzzword. Yeah. I'm not sure how because I feel it's a national issue more than a municipal one. But if there is a way that we can make headway, it's definitely front and center. It impacts me, impacts my friends, impacts sure. a lot of us. And even the, um, you know, the surrounding neighborhoods. Now, around Yerushalayim, there's surrounding neighborhoods. There's Malaya Dumim, there's Givat Zev, there's Ramot, there's Gush Etzion. Around Tel Aviv, you got Givatayim, you got Ramakan. And then you go south, Holon, Batyam. Um, are the prices in those surrounding uh, cities also very close to the level of the prices in Tel Aviv? I would say that the further away you move from where everyone wants to live, the cheaper it's going to get. But yeah. sometimes if you're looking at, you know, Batyam or Ramat Gan or Giva time, the prices maybe are a thousand, fifteen hundred shekel less per the same type of property. But you also need to travel more, both time and cost, to get to the places that you yeah, want to go. Because yeah, Ramat Gan yeah. is not famous for its restaurants or its nightlife. And and that's one of the things that I tell people. I'm like I say very honestly that Tel Aviv is more expensive if you're used to Jerusalem prices or Maladumim prices. Yes, it's going to be a significant hike. At the same time, that's because everyone wants to be here. Everyone in the country, from you know twenty to fifty, especially if they you know don't have families, want to be in Tel Aviv. This is just like going to. Uh, you know, brand name, you know, universities like you want to be with other people who want to be there. You know, everything there is in demand and everybody wants to be there. It's it's a hot place to be. Families. I wanted to ask you about families. Do you see um, parents with young children there? Do you see large families? We bought years ago. I, I think we bought a stroller off of Yajnia, the second hand online. And it was from a Tel Aviv family. And it was so funny because it was barely used. And we were laughing because here where we live, everybody has seven kids. And, you know, you don't want anything that's been used because <laughs> it's been used, you know, for seven kids. Tel Aviv, you get used. It's like brand new. So um, that was years ago. What's it like today? You're telling me there are all these synagogues popping up. Are people getting married and having families and staying in the city? Okay, so first of all, I will say that there, there, there's two answers to this question. There's what I see when I walk on the street, and then there's what I know of because I'm tapped into different types of communities in life. So the, the overarching answer I would say is yes, there are families in Tel Aviv. Yes, there are places for children, and there are you know an abundance of schools. There are religious schools. There are the possibilities, and like I said, there are combinot. I know a family with seven children, who found an apartment for a really good price, but they signed a multi-multi-year contract. So th there are ways to do it. But the question really is what, what people value, because there are people who will move to Tel Aviv because they want to be a family who will adopt Olim or singles or people who are you know in yeshiva and to be an adoptive family for them, which I think is really beautiful, but they come mm. with a mission. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no, no. There are families like that all over Israel. They're called... Um... Uh, what are they called? Anything? Not a garin, not starting a garin, but it, it's that type of, there are these couples who who even have left my yeshuv to go to a city where there aren't so many religious because they want to be like the emissaries. Right. And there so, are people like this, yeah. So I, I would say that for, for younger families who want, uh, you know, larger families are on the way too. I'm familiar with uh, quite a few of them, families with three children, four children, like young couples who live in Tel Aviv, who like the community they're part of and do so. 
moving directly to Tel Aviv with kids above a certain age is something that I'm not so familiar with in the area that I am. People have moved with very young children, ages, you know, five, five and under. Uh, beyond that point, though, it seems that people do move to to other places. But once people are here in Tel Aviv, if they're here, they seem to be here, you know, to stay and for the longer haul, we would have to see. I did go to uh, during the, you know, war earlier on when people had, would only go to shuls with bomb shelters or impromptu davening in the park near bomb shelters. Uh, there was one where all the families with children, because it was a large bomb shelter, went to. It was beautiful to see a park with families of oh, two, three, sure. four, five children nice. all in one place. I was there as one of the like supervisors of it. And it was it was great to see. And they all live in Tel Aviv and go to the same shuls and places. I can say that I have a sister who lives in Tel Aviv. She has two children. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, she's not planning on moving and okay. she really loves it here. Okay, so, so like it, it, it is it is challenging, but it's the same challenge when you move a large family where the older children are already of an age where they're able to realize what's going on. You may want to integrate them in a community which have, uh, you know, more of those possibilities. Uh, but I, I will I will conclude this point with saying that there are many Tel Aviv traditionalists. I have friends who are religious who are fifth generation Tel Aviv, and. And they and they say that they intend to live here. And first, they, they they've told me that they find it amazing how the English speaking boom of, you know, has really revitalized some of the shuls like Ben Yuda 126. My friend Benjamin, who I think is is like late 20s, early 30s, he said as a kid, he was the 10th man. And now the synagogue is overflowing, like uh, no seats available sometimes. That is amazing. So he says the, the Anglo boom really helped. And it's also like different bubbles of communities, which is, I'd say, one of the downsides is that when people come, they move, they gravitate towards their group. So we've overlapped mm. with the French a little bit. But again, our mutual language is Hebrew. They don't speak English. Many of them, we don't speak French. So I've gone to their shul sometimes, but they have their own parallel infrastructure, I would say, in some ways larger than the English speaking one. And they exist. And the Russian community has theirs. So as far as a melting pot, I'd say it's probably interests. If you find like a, a gym you like or an activity is where you'll find a place to overlap because people really do tend to go to their own, you know, subgroups yeah. with them. Yeah, this melting pot is is an American um, dream, which is a myth. If I could just throw that in there, there's no such thing as a real, real melting pot. Okay. And Israel is not a melting pot, but people do come here. Of course, they're going to go where they're comfortable. And of course, if you're a Russian speaker, you're going to go where they're Russian speakers. But the next generation, they actually do become Israeli. And who knows who they're going to marry? That we see. All of us who are here with kids see it. My own kids, you know, they're Israeli. There's Hebrew speakers. They don't sound like me at all. But do so, do they? But do how how is their English? Are they able to tap into and like step into that kind of a world? They don't have that kind of a world. No. Like they 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 could they couldn't go to America and seem American. Not really. Is is that a value to you? Would you like them to have that kind of an option? No, no, no. I didn't come here for them to to be uh, American. I came here for them to be Israeli. <laughs> All right, and then, then kola kavod on doing that because like one one of the challenges I find for some of my friends and like young couples is the the question of language acquisition of you know making sure that the child who's now in a Hebrew speaking school can still speak good English have a good second language. Well, there's mine mine do, but um, 
their first language is Hebrew. And, you know, when they're in, looking at the signs on the road, you know, I'm looking at the English, they're looking at the Hebrew. And when they're cursing and yelling, they're doing, they're much better at it in Hebrew. They're faster. These are, they don't make mistakes in Hebrew. They make mistakes in English. English is not their first language, even though it's mine. And um, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. really okay with it, that. It, it, it's, it's, it's not a given. I know of people who made Aliyah well, and children. Depends where you live. English, like, exactly. It depends on also the ideology and what state of mind people come. If you like Israel, I'll say to everyone who's listening, it's not an easy transition. It it can be easier in some places, less in others. And there's some satellites and neighborhoods that you go to where you can find everything running and happening in English. You know, Hashmonaim, Ranana, you know, Ramat Bet Shemesh, there are supermarkets, um, you know, with American products and they will sell things in, in English. Like I, I'd also say that my uh, one of the like uh, profession like jobs that I work with is a company called uh, ambassador academy it's a company that uh, you know i've started years ago with the purpose of teaching english as a second language through activities like debate the model united nations ted talks pitching to get kids speaking with confidence and these activities work really well in english or hebrew but we find that specifically for you know i'd say for israeli students they love it they love talking english speaking you know with you know critical thinking which is not emphasized enough here in the schooling system and for you know kids with good english all the more so this is a place for them to really shine in a system where you know they're learning a second language yeah. so it's something which i'd say is really that's very very good that's university level um that's very good my kids i'll tell you like i remember them doing book reports in school and it was like horrendous i, I saw what they did it was like a it was so childish and they were old they were already eighth grade or something and the teacher gave them this outline and i mean they barely had to do any thinking and my kids can read english they do they've read harry potter in english okay they can read um but they couldn't write and even when i have them write messages to my mother and letters i have to help them and they're old my kids are all teenagers my kids are 18 you know they're 20 i have to help them because they don't have that confidence they didn't learn that's really it's it, it's crazy that that's the, yeah. the reality. So well, that's... you should get ambassador academy programs into your school. We we teach Israelis like we're mostly teaching English second language students, and we're a supplier of the ministry. We don't of have English second language students here. There aren't any. Is English taught in schools? It is. Great. So we we teach as part <laughs> of the English curriculum. We'll talk. That is amazing. We'll talk. I'm the lifeguard in the summer and they all make, I mean, I have to speak Hebrew. I have to speak Hebrew. I have to. Lola Roots. I mean, they all make fun of me. They don't, they don't know. They don't know any English. You know, it's a, it's a real Israeli issue. But, you know, in the set, in the cities. You've done something that many, many families find challenging, which is getting your kids to speak Hebrew and be Israeli. Not everyone yeah. is able to. It, it, well, it's you hard. said it. You said it. You said it. it depends where you live and what you, what your attitude is. And it's really, really where you live. Because if you live in a place where they have no choice, then they have no choice. It's sink or swim. And, you know, we came when they were very young. We had two kids. They were two and three. They could barely speak at all. Anyone out there who's listening who has questions for me about Daniel and about what he's doing in Tel Aviv, it sounds amazing, please contact me at natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. And I will pass on your message to Daniel. I will stay in touch with him. We're going to follow him through his race. When is the big date? When are the elections? Right. So if, if you're in Israel, the municipal elections are 
on the 27th of February. So six days from now, from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m., wherever you are in Israel, I would say one of the challenges Olim have is that they uh, make Aliyah to a certain address and don't move to the city where they are. So, But wherever you are, please vote. They know who votes. And the more Olim, even like older, like more experienced Olim vote, shows that we're a group to take into account. Daniel, tell, tell us what to vote on the ticket. Tell, what do they need to vote? What, well, so our, I mean, our party, if you're in Tel Aviv, is Gav. Like, we got your back, Gimel Bet. There are other parties that I could say I know, like Hitoju, Shalim, and Jerusalem is a great We're party. out of time. I'm going to cut you off because we're out of time. Right. I don't want them to hear it. Thank but thank you. you. This has been great. Thank yes. you for having me, Natalie. It has been great. Good luck. It's really wonderful. Thank Good you luck. so much. Bye bye. Bye bye.